Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. How are you, Kieran? It's, it's, it's Wednesday afternoon. I've, I've, you're playing games with my timetable, Kieran. It's just, you're dragging me around the world. I'm, I'm in different time zones because of you now. Well, yes, yeah. I've been in a few different time zones myself because uh, on Monday I was teaching in Liverpool then I had to go to Manchester Airport to fly to Heathrow, to fly to Brussels, to get a cab to Antwerp, teach all day in Antwerp because um, I was teaching the Belgian football clubs about financial fair play and amortisation. It's a dream come true for them, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and, and they, they were, went out to an amazing restaurant. I've, I've never been to Belgium before, so that was dead exciting. Um, and then the sensible thing to do is, just, is I'm teaching in Liverpool on Thursday, so to fly back today, nice and relaxed. But Brighton are playing at Wolves, so I flew. So I, I got a train from uh, Antwerp to Brussels, flew to Heathrow, binned off my flight back to Manchester. Instead, I caught a train to Birmingham because there's no hotels in Wolverhampton that are open tonight. So I'm having to stay in Birmingham go to the match after we record this, come back to Birmingham, and then I've got to get from Birmingham to Liverpool tomorrow morning before I start teaching at nine. All of which is very glamorous and exciting, Kieran, but I, I, I think our listeners will probably be the first to point out that Antwerp, Manchester, Liverpool, probably all in the same time zone. So not quite as exotic as we thought, but certainly no, more exotic Central than... Central European time. Oh, well, Central no, European I, I, time, I, I'll have you know. Oh, well, well I, still more exotic than my life this week, Kieran, which consisted of me having a cold and then treating myself to a trip to Sutton this morning. So you're, you're way okay. ahead of me in the, in the glamour stakes. Um, good, good result for, for Sutton last night as well. Beat Notts, well, the previous night, beat Notts County. Yeah, that's not that's not what I was there, kid. There wasn't an open top bus parade around Sutton from the back of an unlikely away win. <laughs> uh, I, I do hope Sutton stay up though. Um, yes, so Kieran, so the news is, of course, that you've got an FA Cup game to get to. Yet another example of how your life is more glamorous than mine. So let's get on with the the proper news. Uh, two ongoing stories, Kieran. Let's get the most depressing one out of the way. Let's. Uh, it, it's Reading again, uh, and I just feel like we're cutting and pasting the same story. Another points deduction for Reading, another broadside from the EFL to the owner saying, either pay up or get out. And yet we see no clearer to a resolution of this terrible, terrible problem for Reading fans. Yes. So following further non-payment of uh, HMRC debt, the EFL um, submitted Reading's position under Dai Yonga because people say it's the football club. No, we're talking about football club owners and they do have a separate identity. He's the person who's making these decisions. So HMRC have been unpaid yet again. Um, Reading have been given a further two points penalty because they were starting to, to make progress, you know, a bit of a stuttering position, but they were starting to make a bit of progress in League One. This drops them back down again, I think, to 19th. And there's a further two points suspended unless Dai Yonga gets his act together. His attitude is, I'm a billionaire. I listen to nobody. I don't engage with anybody. Um, in terms of the potential sale of the club, that seems to be 
very quiet. They're certainly interested parties because they've they've contacted us and so it said, you know, what what do we value the club at and so on. Um, so that there is interest in the club, but I think whatever he's asking for is unrealistic. He can afford to do whatever he chooses because he's a billionaire. If you look at his property portfolio in London, it, it is quite spectacular and elsewhere. Um, but as always, it's it's the fans who go to bed at night, you know, without sounding too melodramatic, thinking, "Am I going to have a club to support in a couple of weeks?" You know, is you know, we're at the uh, the twenty eighth of February. One has to assume that the wages have been paid for this month. But it, you're going from month to month, and that will be for the staff, that will be for the fans, that will be for everybody connected with the club, wanting to know: Is he going to bother? Is he not going to bother? There's there's uncertainty. Um, arrogance from the owner, and uh, yeah, I, I actually feel for the EFL here. You know, what else can they do? Um, because if you you can't sack a shareholder, because by nature they own shares in the company, and that's company law takes precedence. As you can say, Kieran, he can afford to to do this, but it does beg the question: Why do people who can afford to do these things choose to be a dick so often? I mean, well, just use your money for good or sod off out of it. It's just, I, I, I'm tired talking about it, Kieran, so how we're Reading fans must feel. Um, on a similar note, the Torquay fans who are choo- tuning in, some of them for the first time, we're actually doing a special pod tomorrow, which we're, we're interviewing somebody for the Torquay Supporters Trust tonight, and that will be going out on Friday as a separate pod because we thought it might get a little bit lost in the news for today. So... Hopefully that will be a 25-minute, 30-minute uh, discussion on what's actually happening at Torquay and we can shed some light there. Um, the other main story of the week, Kieran, is much, much bigger, of course, because it happened to a Premier League club and therefore pushed everybody else off the back pages and occasionally the front page. The reduction in the deduction, which I've been looking forward to saying for Everton, 10 points down to six. Uh, <clears throat> two questions, Kieran. First of all, why the deduction? Uh, reduction and what connotations does this have for both Forest and Everton's next hearings? If, if we if we break those down into their components, uh, with regards to the appeal against the ten point penalty, which, as you said, resulted in a deduction of a reduction, um, was it to get the right right round? Um, Everton appealed on nine separate grounds um, in respect of the original commission and the reconvene commission which was more legally focused because they weren't there to say the evidence at the first case was was appropriate and appropriate they, they were looking at it really through the sort of uh, the, the lens of a legal pe- of, of a legal professional so i think there were two kcs on the panel um who uh, reflected on this and Again, I'd, I'd always encourage people to read the reports. It's it, it's forty one pages. Um, it, I think it's it's been well summarised. I think it is quite uh, accessible and digestible as well. But the the two areas on which uh, Everton were successful with regards to their, their their concerns about the original judgment were first of all the original commission um, appeared to take a disproportionate uh, concern in relation to the concept of utmost good faith. Now, as part of the Premier League constitution, all member clubs have to act in utmost good faith. And the original commission said, well, if if we take a look um, at some of the submissions by Everton, the phrase that they used and the phrase that kept being referred to in the second judgment was um, less than frank. So I can be less than frank when I when I return home at two a.m. after a night out with my mates. With yeah, when I'm getting quizzed by the Baroness, you know, being less than frank. What are they doing? Well, they they could have been more expansive in their submissions. We always can be more expansive in terms of what we say. Um, but the second commission said the Everton were under no obligation to be completely frank. That their obligation was to answer the questions that were put before them, rather than say, "Well, here's the question, and by the way, here's a bit more evidence which potentially might, you know, 
give give more rope to 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 the the person across the other side. So that that was an interesting conclusion. I think Everton felt very vindicated by this because um, there were words such as misrepresentation in the uh, original commission's report, and misrepresentation is is, is another word for for porkies. Um, and the second commission said, yep, yeah, in their view. Everton made errors rather than were deliberately trying to duck under the rules. So that that was taken into consideration. Um, and the second issue, and I think really here the, the Premier League has come out of this quite poorly, was along the lines of the, um, the original commission and the Premier League didn't have any guidelines. So if we talk, if we look at legislation as, as enacted by Parliament, what will happen is that a new law will be passed, a new offence will be created, and then there will be an appropriate tariff agreed. And then the judges say, well, where are we on the tariff? Um, the Premier League didn't go go that far. You, you could argue that this was at the, at the behest of the clubs themselves because they've had the opportunity to set a tariff. And therefore, the second commission said, where did you get this 10 points from? And, and this is the question which we've been asking. I think the, the reaction of you and I and many other people who've sort of been observing what's going on is, yes, Everton appeared to have breached the rules, but the penalty seems disproportionate. So the second commission looked to the EFL for guidance. And here the EFL does have a effectively a, a set tariff. And uh, yeah, I think the EFL will be chuckling away to themselves. Because let's face it, they've been... They've been ignored and treated very shabbily by the Premier League for a considerable number of months with regards to the redistribution deal. And now, effectively, the Commission is saying, well, we can't rely on the Premier League for guidance, so therefore we're going to utilise um, the, the EFL. And they also said, well, hold on, if we take a look at Birmingham's deduction last year of nine points, that was for a 46-game competition, whereas the Premier League's a 38-game competition. If we take a look at the, the median number of points earned by a Premier League club, it's around about 48 to 50. 10 points is, is 20% of your overall take in a season. That seems, again, intuitively, you know, finger in the wind test, that, that does seem too harsh. So therefore, on the basis of that, they said we're going to reduce the penalty to six points. I think Everton had said we'd rather have a, a transfer embargo, we'd rather have a fine. And I think another thing which came out from this second report, which is intriguing, is that the commission said going forwards, points deductions should always be the sanction for breaches of financial fair play. So you know, that is something which is not only applies to Everton, but will apply to, to further cases going forwards. Um, and Again, if you're going to apply financial fair play, it's pointless having financial penalties if you're dealing with not just billionaires, but beyond billionaires, sovereign wealth funds. If you, even if you find uh, the PIF you know, £100 million, it's, it's not an issue for them. So, so that's where we were in, in, in respect of your first question. So sorry, I've rambled on a bit there. In respect of your second question, um, it does now set a precedent. I think it does now set a effectively a start point for the case against Nottingham Forest, which I think is being held at around about the 7th of March. And then subsequent to that, um, Everton's second case is going to be held. Those verdicts have to come out by mid-April, and then they can then be appealed. And here, again, we, we look at the mess very much of its own making. And I'm not saying that this is Richard Master's fault or anybody else. It's, it's the function of the clubs who are in the Premier League, which, as we know, Premier League clubs within civil war with themselves at present. It could be that appeals against any second set of uh, point seductions will not be finished until the 23rd of May, which is five days after the end of the season. So that's where we stand at present. If Forrest are found guilty, they, should, they will get a points deduction. What's the start and end point of that? I think we now have a, a benchmark of six points. It could be that Forrest's uh, advisors will say, well, if, we've, if we exceeded the limit by less than 
20 million pounds that we had with Everton. We should be lower than that. Um, and then Everton's second case, I would imagine they'll be saying there's double jeopardy because we've got an overlap of two years. So if we get, we're found guilty, there's a very good case for saying this is the points deduction. Reduce that by two thirds. A lot of people, Kieran, are saying it's Richard Masters' fault, but unfortunately, you've got an FA Cup game to get to. So that's possibly for the next pod, and possibly for after we've learned what happens to to Everton and uh, Forest. I mean, it's interesting how the press, uh, as usual in their in their binary fashion, have either presented this as a complete exoneration of Everton or an administrative failure by the Premier League. But I don't think there's any doubt that Everton admitted there was a breach of the financial fair play regulations. And of course, a lot of people, especially those who support teams at the bottom of the table, are saying, well, then that, then that breach is clearly continued into the, whatever the rest of that three-year period is. So they have to have a points deduction. There is. Um, and there are people now saying that because this... Uh, original hearing and then the appeal has drifted into season 23-24 that it should have been heard last year because this is we're actually talking about the three years to the 30th of June 2022 now if a six-point deduction had been applied to Everton last season one of the I think it was Southampton would not have been relegated and therefore their legal team will be saying we have suffered financially as a result of the delays in the process. And therefore, we will be looking for some form of, well, presumably financial compensation because we, we can't operate in a time machine um, as a result of this ruling. So yeah, that we, we have not reached the end of the road with regards to this. And it's it's going to rumble on. Um, if, you've, uh, if you've got a silver tongue, You've got to be a very happy and b ridiculously busy um, in in the worlds of of sports law for for the next few months on the back office. Well, we know you've got a silver tongue, Kieran. You, you must have attracted the Baroness somehow with your your romantic chat. Uh, it's interesting as well, Kieran, to hear Brentford's captain say yesterday that as a club, as players, they want this resolved and they want it resolved on the pitch and not by people in offices with calculators, he said, because he's he said exactly what you've been saying. We don't know how to approach games now. And, and now we're being told that it might be after the season's finished almost before we, we find out which teams are given points or taken points. Of. So it's not just affecting two clubs, Kieran. It's affecting eight or nine clubs towards the bottom of the table. It is. You're absolutely right. You, you, you'll go into a match if you are Forest or Brentford or you know the other clubs at the bottom. Over the course of the next, you know, what's it, ten games, twelve games that we've got now left in the Premier League, um, is a draw a good result? Well, normally you get a gut feel before the match. Of, okay, lads, we need a point today. You know, and that will you know, and and you do mentally sort of look at the next three or four games. Well, one of your games effectively is against you know two accountants and or two barristers and an accountant uh, sitting sitting knocking out stuff on their calculator and, and taking legal precedent and so on which is what they do but it's having an impact upon the the players the fans and jobs because jobs will be lost if you take a look at clubs that get relegated the first thing that they do they say well we don't need the same size media department in the championship as we did in the premier league we don't need the same size this because the 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 responsibilities of being a member of the premier league because it is a global product are so much more um, significant and so much more onerous than they are in the championship and that's not denigrating the championship uh, thank you for not including palace in that list of teams who are in the relegation battle, Kieran. Um, I'm struggling to contain my excitement here, Kieran, because it's it's 13 minutes past five on a on a Wednesday afternoon, and I, I know you've got a, a, a game to get to, but we've actually had a message from producer guy with <laughs> with the caption "Breaking news, breaking news, Kieran." Oh. The takeover the takeover of West Bromwich Albion has been completed, and while we're actually on the air, they didn't wait until 10 minutes after we finished recording, Kieran. They've had the courtesy to announce it while we're actually recording. So I, I think that'll probably be the lead story on, on Sunday's pod. But um, Mr Patel, 
US businessman has, has finally completed the takeover of West Brom. So initially, you think that's good news? Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted. Um, Gouch, Gouch and Lai was a poor owner. Um, we had Ali Jones from Action for Albion on the show when, when the, the West Brom issues started breaking. Um, and I've become sort of close mates with Ali. Um, he's uh, he's absolutely passionate about his football club and he's put his heart and soul into trying to, to keep the profile race. So for, for his point of view, I'm absolutely delighted. And also for all the, the other Baggies fans as well. Well, uh, Kieran, you're staying in Birmingham tonight. You're, you're only a couple of miles down the road from the from the black country. I'm sure you'd be invited to a late night knock on the door. She'd be somewhere where they'll be celebrating. <laughs> could be, could be. Could be. Um, <clears throat> wasted on you, of course. Uh, the Baroness, is, she, yes. she'd be there already. A big, big news, Kieran, from Germany, um, from the German Football League, in what looks like a victory for fan power. Yes, um, and I'm going to shut up because um, our uh, Bundesliga correspondent, uh, as he is now known, Matt Ford, has uh, has kindly sent me a fantastic summary of the position. Um, and now over to you, Matt. German fans have regarded a spectacular victory over proposed private equity investment in the Bundesliga. The proposed deal collapsed after weeks of increasingly disruptive fan protests, which evolved from chocolate coins to tennis balls to remote control cars driving smoke bombs around penalty areas as matches were interrupted for up to 30 minutes. Some fan representatives even ended up on political talk shows debating the issue on primetime television. First, the US private equity firm Blackstone dropped out of the running, citing an unstable environment for their investment, leaving only CVC in the running, before the German Football League, the DFL, dropped the deal altogether. The reasons for the fans' anger were threefold. Firstly, opposition to the deal itself, which would have seen clubs committing to hand over 8% of revenues from the sale of the Bundesliga's international broadcast rights to a private equity investor for 20 years, in return for an immediate €1 billion investment in digitalisation and other international marketing measures. This was considered fundamentally a dangerous gamble on future revenues. Secondly, there was anger at the ballot, during which it was suspected that the required two-thirds majority, exactly 24 out of 36 votes, had only been achieved via an infringement of the 50 plus 1 rule. More on that in a second, but given that this was all taking place in a German football environment where fans are fundamentally suspicious of over-commercialisation anyway, the deal seemed destined to face uh, strong opposition. So what now? The fans have won a key battle, but the war is set to continue over the 50 plus 1 rule. Although it can't be proved, a process of elimination strongly suggests that drawing that secret ballot on the investor deal, Hanover Chief Executive Martin Kint voted in favour of the deal, despite the Hanover Parent Club directing him explicitly to vote against it. And given that the complex structures in Hanover seemingly don't allow the club to punish Kint for that, it's become, it's become apparent that the 50 plus 1 rule is clearly not in force in Hanover. This is now once again an issue for Germany's federal competition regulator, the Bundeskartellamt, which said last year that it was actually happy with 50 plus 1, provided that it was implemented uniformly across the league, with the exemptions of Bayer Leverkusen and uh, Wolfsburg. Well, that's a separate issue. Now, however, it's looking like the rule is also not in force in Hanover. Finally, since the Bundeskartellamt's last appraisal on 50 plus 1, we've also had the small matter of the European Court of Justice ruling on UEFA and the Super League, which effectively said that UEFA's ban on clubs taking part in alternative competitions effectively constituted an unlawful monopoly under EU law. So, how would it view an artificial restriction on investment in a market such as 
the one constituted by the 50 plus 1 rule in Germany. This isn't over yet. The fans have recorded an absolutely spectacular victory, an extraordinary victory, one which many observers, including myself, didn't think was possible. But the war's not over. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. It's always good to hear from Matt, Kieran, although I notice his accent is getting slightly more German every time we speak to him, which is which is <laughs> how it should be. Is this a victory for fan power, Kieran, or have the German Football League looked into this and decided that private investment isn't the right thing to do. Because there's been an f- incredibly concerted campaign by every club in the Bundesliga and, and below at the same time every week to make their feelings known about this. <clears throat> and it's also, it's not private investment into the league as such, it's private investment into the media rights. Yes. Um, I think as Matt summarised it, it, it was uh, they've won the battle, but the war is not yet over. Um, and the... The the over the overhanging issue is that following the uh, court ruling in respect of Super League, um, you know, and, and I, I hadn't thought of this is that is the fifty plus one rule anti competitive in its own right? Could therefore somebody take the Bundesliga, take the DFB, um, German football authorities, um, to court on the back of this because you've got somebody at, at a club who could be a minority shareholder who says, I want to to get a large price for my shares and I could do this by encouraging somebody to take over the whole club, which they're not prepared to do at present and therefore they're not prepared to pay the, the control premium that would go along with it. So once again, it's... I mean, first of all, yeah, congratulations to German football fans. I think they're absolutely brilliant in the way that they've done this. And, and we've always said non-violent direct action especially if it's funny, especially if it's it will get media attention, is the way to go for any form of protest. And, and you look at the work that Abby's done for Action for Albion and some of the other fan groups. But that, So it's been amazing. You know, having remote control cars with smoke bombs on the pitch, that's just genius as far as I'm concerned. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's going it's, it's to meander because rich people who want to make more money, they, they just see this as a as a hurdle uh, rather than the wall. <clears throat> it was interesting to see the, the Blackburn fans last night with their very specific throwing on the pitch of 14 tennis balls, one ball to represent each year of the Venkis, which is it's kind of like I, I admire the preciseness of that, but it's not holding the game up that long, is it? Frankly, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> went out for a corner, the balls have been cleared by the time it came in. So it's, um, I think that's something we're going to see more and more at grounds now. And, and as you rightly say, Kieran, if if fans are not listened to, they will articulate their anger and their energy elsewhere, basically, until they are listened to. Three stories, Kieran, about clubs uh, looking for investment and possibly selling shares. Clubs of various sizes. The first one is a, it came somewhat as a surprise, I'd say, because Brentford owner Matthew Benham has hired Rothschild, I believe, to to look for potential buyers. Mm. Yes, um, I think following the sale of Chelsea for, for $2.5 billion and the offshore gym investment in Manchester United, which effectively values the club at around about $5 billion, everybody in the world of football club valuation has had a bit of a reset. 
Um, we saw Bournemouth being sold for just over £100 million. We saw, Bournemouth, we saw Newcastle United going for £300 million. And we felt that that was the, 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 the position in terms of valuations. But the Chelsea sale and the Manchester United sale have made everybody have a rethink. I know that Palace were up for sale for around about 220 to 240 sort of over a year ago. And now the figures I'm seeing being quoted are in the region of six to 700 million. So everybody thought, well, actually, if I sell a bit of the club, I can get what I put into the club a few years ago back, plus potentially a bit more. Some of that money can go into the club development. Some of that money can come back to me. It's a win-win deal. So this appears to be the position in relation to Brentford. Uh, I mean, the valuations we're seeing are you know, in the region of you know, four to five hundred million pounds, which you wouldn't have considered uh, uh, you know, you know, certainly five years ago when, when they were playing at Griffin Park and they were in the championship and so on. But they, they are now in the Premier League. But I know that they're not guaranteed to stay in the Premier League, but none of us are. Um, and on the but... They are a well-run club. They've certainly got a stellar reputation in terms of the the degree of competence and professionalism in the boardroom and in recruitment. Um, and on the back of that, um, they they've commissioned this uh, "Come and Get Me" uh, plea via Rothschilds. To and Rothschilds' job is to do the filtering, you know, to get rid of the tire kickers and the lunatics and the fantasists, which you, you can't afford to do if you're in your League Two or, or non-League. Rothschild is not a name that occurs regularly on this pod, Kieran. Are they often used um, for work like this? Because, I mean, we associate them more with being the bankers to the super wealthy, don't we? Well, th- this is an M&A deal, yeah, mergers and acquisition. And I'll be honest, yeah, five years ago, they, they wouldn't have got involved because they would have turned their noses up because Brentford were a, were a championship club. And, and then you were probably looking at a club being sold in the region of twenty to thirty million pounds, and you look at your your yeah, bit like an estate agent, you, you you work on a commission basis, and they say, yeah, we don't get a bed for those type of numbers, but you know, a little percentage of five hundred million pounds is uh, is is worth uh, is worth answering the phone for. Mm. You, you know, we've never recorded at this time before, Kieran. It's, it's getting on for half past five now. And one thing I didn't factor in is that it's Smudge's dinner time. So I am getting okay. head-butted like anything by it. It's a little furry head under the table. <laughs> just reminded me that it smudges in the time. So you've got a match to get to. I've got a cat to feed. Um, Motherwell, Kieran, the chairman there, Jim McMahon, uh, I don't know whether he's playing one investor against the other, but it seems there are two possible investors interested in Motherwell. Yes. I mean, we, we had Pat Nevin on the show. And remember, he was the previous chief executive of... Uh, Motherwell and you know, and anybody that's read his book will realise what a tough job it is, uh, especially in respect of a club which has fan base connections, or or you're operating with an owner who all of a sudden realises oh, I didn't have as much money as I originally thought I had, which was in the case of Motherwell when Pat was there. Um, so Motherwell is currently majority owned to the tune of seventy one percent by the fans via the Wells Society, um, and. Jim McMahon and some of the other executives have said, look, we've got to be honest, the benefits of fan ownership in terms of community outreach, inclusion, all of the things which which we think are absolutely fantastic and part of the reason why you know, we love our clubs because we know that they are more than just a football club. Um, th- this is all well and good. But the most important thing is that Motherwell retain its, retains its position in the Scottish Premiership and ideally starts to, to push its way up the table for going for Europa League or Europa Conference positions because they're going to become more lucrative from next season when the Swiss model kicks in. Um, and they said, we've got to be honest, as far as our budget is concerned, we need to be bringing in around about £6 million a year and unless we have a good cup run, unless we have a, uh, a good bit of player trading in the year, we're looking probably at around about five and a half million. So we're going to have a deficit. Now, if you've got an individual owner, the chances are that they've bought into the club with this is how much I'm prepared to sub the club on an annual basis. And we see that you know, right from the very top with Abramovich, that was, he was willing to put in a million pounds a week down to our friend Andy Holt and, and others as well. They say, right, this is how much I'm willing to lose. That doesn't work with a fan-owned club. 
because you can't expect individual fans to say, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, we, we, we each have to go and put in 150 quid or whatever it's going to be because a lot of them physically won't have it. Um, so so that's, that's the challenge. So therefore, Jim McMahon says, I've got some offers and these offers will result in the Wells Society's investment falling below the control threshold, i.e. it will go below 50%. The reaction of the fan groups who still, you know, you know what we're like as fans, we have long memories with regards to certain incidents in respect of our club. Um, they've said, we don't want that. You know, we, we're concerned that we could go, go back to the bad old days. So the fans are opposed to this. Um, they, they believe that we should be trying to explore more opportunities to raise revenue um, other than relying on new owners. So we've got a bit of an on-pass at present, but it's quite clear that um, yeah, the majority shareholders who are the, the fan group, um, yeah, that does give them some, you know, some responsibilities, but also some some position, you know, some strength here as far as the relationship is concerned. But the chief executive is saying, "Well, you know, we're running at a loss. What what are we going to do about it?" Um, and I think we need to get heads around the table. So if if we can, you know, utilize the stadium more, if we can come up with some ideas, you know, I'm, I'm using the royal we here. Um, all well and good. But then you have to say, if if Motherwell are breaking even at six million, if they want to get into those you know third and fourth place, and we, you know, we have to be realistic, places one and two are probably gone forever as far as Scotland are concerned. Um, it could need a bit of further investment. I've noticed, Kieran, that you've been using the Royal We a lot lately. I don't know if you're aware of this. I imagine when you were flagging down that cab in Brussels to go to Antwerp, and I don't know how much you're getting paid, but that must have cost you a fair bit of money. I imagine then you're flagging it down, and in both French and Flemish, you're saying, do you know who we are? And he immediately opens the door and says, I'll take you to Antwerp. <laughs> and it's one to keep an eye on that, Kieran, because Motherwell, of course, are one of the bigger clubs um, that are uh, technically fan-owned. So that's an interesting development. The, the third uh, club, Kieran, looking for outside investment, came as a genuine surprise to me because this is a club that's very much associated with a named group of owners already. Yes, this is Salford City. Um, now, Salford City is presently owned uh, 40% by uh, the Singapore investor Peter Lim, and then the remaining 60% of the shares are owned by the, the class of 92 Beckham, the two Nevilles, Nicky Butt, who's the now now the chief executive, Ryan Giggs and Scolzi. Um and they are saying we're not having the great season. They've they've sort of hit a bit of a brick wall in terms of progress. You know, the initial excitement, the initial investment, the transformation of Salford City from a from a club that was probably you know, quite happily meandering along with crowds of three hundred. Those have gone up substantially. But they're still one of the smaller uh, average attendances as far as League Two is concerned. So they are looking for outside investment. They were hoping to move um, within Salford to, to the AJ Bell Stadium, where I think uh, Rugby League is played. But that deal fell through. The council fell out with them um, and uh, council withdrew support. So they need to get further money. And people say, well, you know, footballers are rich. Why can't they put the money in? Well, footballers are rich, but you know, if if, if anybody's been retired for you know, majority of those players have been retired, you know, ten, twelve, fifteen years, um, money quickly runs out. So I, I don't think it's it's realistic to expect the players to put the money in. Um, yet we know that Gary Neville is successful as an entrepreneur in his own right. We know that uh, David Beckham is successful as an entrepreneur in his own right. But I think they will be looking for external sources. Even even David Beckham, Gary could have. He's got he's got a bit of money to spare. He could afford a sedan chair from Brussels to Antwerp. <laughs> he probably could, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The, the the Baroness is always willing to offer him a spare room as well at our place. You know, he wants one. <laughs> yeah, well, you, yeah, you'll be sleeping in a kennel with Finley. That the night the night David <laughs> yes, Beckham comes well. David Beckham comes down. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Just suddenly David Beckham knocks on the door. So my car's broken down. Come in. <laughs> Good news, Kieran, for two non-league teams. 
at different ends of the country. The first one, Blythe Spartans, a famous old name, of course. Yes, but I'm going to uh, pull back on the good news. The good news, well, the good news, there has been a takeover and Blythe Spartans financially weren't in a great position. The less good news is um, the new owner, uh, Irfan Liakat, um, he has acquired Blythe Spartans via, via a company called Winners Worldwide Limited. And you'd think, well, a company like Winners Worldwide Limited, that, that, must sound, that sounds like quite a big company. So I pop on to Company's House, go on to the section for Winners Worldwide, and it turns out that Winners Worldwide was a company which set up less than 12 months ago whose assets consist of one pound put into the company in the form of one share being issued. I'm going, well, where the rest of that company? Now, it is possible to set, you know, uh, Offshore Jim, he set up a, um, a company called Trawler Limited in the Isle of Man. And that's got more than one pound. So just because it's a new company doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing. But um, there doesn't appear to have been active, any activity here. So then you say, well, OK, again, am I, have I just become so jaundiced and so cynical, you know, since we started working together on the show, what, you know, four and a half years ago? So you do a little bit more ferreting um, at Company's House because um, Berserfan, okay, yeah, he's, he's talking the talk, Kevin. You know, he's saying, yeah, our destination's the championship. I'm going, well, that, that is ambitious. You know, fair play. And I, I love the name Blythe Spartans. I think it's a fantastic name. And you and I have both got sort of recollection of the club as a uh, as a non-league club in, in, in the FA Cup. So again, sort of you know, the romantic association with it. Um, but I take a look at his other companies and they, they've either been dissolved or they're subject to striking off petitions, none of which makes you feel particularly confident. Um, you know, we have seen too many clubs being sold for a pound. You know, Berry was sold for a pound to uh, Steve Dale. Uh, Scunthorpe United was sold for three pounds to David Hilton, and and neither of those ended up with uh, you know, positive outcomes. So, I, I I initially was exactly the same as you with regards to this. But the more digging you do, the less comfortable you feel. Mm. <clears throat> I hate it when you say yes like that. Here's a good news story. Yes. Um, so that's what we're calling him Offshore Jim now. You're making, you're making Sir Jim Ratcliffe sound like a Viz character now. Offshore Jim, <laughs> the billionaire football well, club yeah. owner who wants the council to build him an Olympic stadium in the Northwest. That's, that's Offshore Jim. Okay. Well, so. yeah. see, I'm hoping this next, quit, this next story, Kieran, is, is also good news. But now you've put doubt in my mind because it's about Taunton Town. And it's about their transfer embargo. Oh, this, this is this is much better. This, so, yes, we great. can be positive. Um, so Taunton Town um, had been subject to a winding up order from HMRC for non-payment of tax, um, and people say, "Well, yeah, we need to get fussy about that." Well, it, it, it is cheating by the football club because they deduct that tax from employees' wages. So, you know, it's actually the tax which you know, is, relates to their members of staff. When somebody goes in and buys a piece of merchandise, you as a customer pay the VAT and you pay that in good faith in the assumption that the football club, as the, as the agent um, of, of the uh, tax authorities, is then going to pay that across themselves to um, the, the tax body you know, for which we all are contributories. So... It is very naughty not to do that. Um, but the good news is that Taunton Town has now managed to, A, settle the the monies that were due to HMRC, which resulted in the winding up petition. B, has also settled all the other tax liabilities that it had. And on the back of that, um, the transfer embargo to which they were subject, which appears to be sort of, you know, the, sort of the, the standard penalty, the standard tariff, which is used by the National League, uh, and you understand why they're doing that. Well, that has been lifted. Um, does it mean that Kylian Mbappe is moving to that area of the country? 
Probably not, but it does at least give the club some flexibility going forwards. Yeah, well, in in about three minutes, Kieran, I think we're going to discuss one of the very many reasons why Kylian Mbappe probably won't be signing for Tottenham Town, <laughs> despite his well-known love for cider. I think he's going to balance his love for cider <laughs> with certain other issues. first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com Let's have a little trip to Spain now, Kieran. We, we, we always enjoy a trip to Spain, although you've never been to Belgium. I've never actually been to Spain. I love Belgium. You're kidding. I suspect I love Spain. No, no I, don't, I don't. Long story. Don't ask me why. I, this is another story, Kieran, where I, I see the words La Liga. I see the word Barcelona. I see a huge amount of money, and I don't know really what's going on. This is why you're here, Kieran. I don't know whether this is good for Barcelona or bad, but... Past experience would tell us that it's not a good story. Yeah, it's it's probably not a good story. I think once again, it's a reflection of the competence, mismanagement, arrogance, and complacency which exists at that club. Now, under the La Liga uh, cost control rules, and and what we're going to do, I've I've got in contact with one of their cost control people, and I think they're willing to come on the show and have a chat with us. So we'll, we'll, we'll get that sorted at some point in time, perhaps over the summer before the, the new set of uh, uh, limits are set. The way that it works in La Liga is they say, how much money do we think you've got coming in over the rest of the season or during the summer for the following season? And they check that for, is it reasonable? Then they say, how much money have you got to pay out? Have you got any loans that need repaying? Have you got any transfer payments which are due? So you take that number away. Then what are the running costs of the club? You know, how much is it costing you for the lights? How much is it costing you for insurance and so on? And then whatever's left after those doing those calculations, um, that's your wage limit. And of course, things change over a period of time. Things flex. So in the case of Barcelona, what the, the cost control, uh, the clipboard kids of La Liga. I don't know what that is in Spanish. Um, What they've done is that they've recalculated following the January window, Barcelona's position, and they've reduced the amount that Barcelona can spend on wages by 66 million euro. Now, that's quite a big hit. Um, It was already quite low. It was originally 231 million pounds. Now, that compares to 623 at Real Madrid, and 259 at Atletico. So Barcelona had substantially less. So it's gone down from 231 to 175. But now we've got a problem because Barcelona has recruited players last summer. Its wage bill is going to exceed that amount, which now means, and I think that the La Liga clubs, they've all got a little app. And every time they try to sign a player, they have to put in certain amounts of data And then the app spits out whether or not you can sign this player. So what Barcelona are going to find in the summer, that they're going to have to do an awful lot of selling before the the app red light turns green, which for me makes no difference whatsoever because I'm colourblind. But I think for them could be quite significant. Now, let's discuss, as we predicted about three and a half minutes ago, um, one of the reasons why Kylian Mbappe is more likely to be signing for Real Madrid than he is for Taunton Town. Yes, um, he has indicated to um, PSG that uh, there's going to be a parting of the ways in the summer. Although it has to be said that he's now been invited to to meet President Macron. Um, so he, he's popped in for a, a tea and tiffin. Um, and I know that last year Macron uh, gave him sort of the, we need you, Killian. You know, you are the embodiment of France and to, to walk away from France is surely not what you want to do. So that's part of the reason why he stuck around. Um, but it does appear that he's going to go to 
uh, Real Madrid. And because Real Madrid don't have to sign a transfer fee, and they were willing to pay £200 million for him, and, and indeed um, there were uh, clubs in the Saudi Pro League that were willing to pay huge amounts uh, for him as well, but he, he doesn't want to go there. Um, that he's now going to get a £128 million signing on fee. Now, I go back to 1981 when I used to trundle once a fortnight with my UB40 to, to Manchester City Council to get my you know, £31.60, whatever it was. I wasn't giving a signing on fee. I wasn't given a privilege fee for it. It was, you know, you're, you're, on, the, you're on the rock and roll and, and that's what you're going to do. So, so this signing on fee, um, by all accounts, is going to be on top of his 15 million euro a year wages. He might say, well, 15 million euro? Yeah, we know how much Cristiano Ronaldo is getting in the Saudi Pro League. But I think Mbappe's just said, you know, I want to pay at the utmost level. I want to win La Liga. I want to win the Champions League. Um, you factor in that signing on fee, which by all accounts is going to be spread over a number of years. Um, and the other thing, which I think is looking very interesting, as far as Mbappe is concerned, is that his team have said that when it comes to image rights, um, he's having the vast majority of anything that involves him in a Real Madrid shirt. So clearly, yeah, he is going, he is, you know, he's an iconic player. Um, it's an iconic club. Normally, the club gets quite a good deal with regards to that, but because he's taking a, you know, a, a what and we, this seems a ludicrous thing to say for somebody earning fifteen million euro a year, because he's not taking a huge salary, um, he is earning money through other methods, including the signing on fee and uh, some very extensive image rights. Well, you see, Kieran, if he's if he's said all these things about wanting to play at the biggest club in the world, wanting to win trophies, wanting to succeed. I'd call his bluff. I'd say, well, you're going to get all that. So why do you want 128 million? In fact, when, when I used to play Sunday football, Kieran, we had a player who was so good, we used to play his subs for him. Because uh, we, we, would, wow. we wouldn't have won a match without him. So the rest of us, he won a lot of money, Kieran. It's, you know, only five pounds a week. He's still, between he's still the us. principal but, Sunday morning football. But I thought that was taking He must, he must have been tasty. And he was very good. He was a dirty little son as well. He was very good when he wasn't hung over. But frankly, I thought that was taking a piss. And now I think Kylian Mbappe has, has added a certain level to that, Kieran. And we we end... <laughs> our penultimate story is also Real Madrid. And after that, our end story isn't Real Madrid. And I think these two stories, Kieran, couldn't illustrate more that football in the world has gone, and I apologise for saying this, fucking mad. Right? It's, just, it's just... The the difference between these two stories and what's happening is just, I suppose, it's the reason why we're here. <laughs> tell us tell us about La Liga's request uh, from Real Madrid, Kieran. Uh, yes, uh, Real Madrid have said uh, it's coming up to the end of the season and... Yeah, if ever you've been involved in a promotion fight or a relegation fight, you do get a bit narky if Sky or the other broadcasters shift your match away from three o'clock, either accelerate it or put it a day later because it allows other clubs potentially to get a bit of a steal on you. But you accept it that, OK, we've sold our soul to television. It is broadcasting. And also, you know, as a fan, I'm a complete hypocrite. I will be watching the opponent's match if that's been brought forward or delayed because it's got implications for us at the end of the season. So it's part of modern football. It's, it's imperfect. And at least we have got the integrity of the very final day of the season uh, when matches are taking place, everything takes place at the same time. Um, but what Real Madrid have done is they've said um, our last home match, which I don't think is their final match, to be fair to them, um, our last home match, any chance of just shifting it a little bit? Because um, we've, we've got a Taylor Swift concert taking place and we've sold so many tickets that she wants to do another gig. Now, this wouldn't have happened with Charlie Harper and the UK subs, as we know. You know but... <laughs> I, I don't think they would have sold out the Bernabeu in the first place, but they, they, they're, they're decent people. Um, but because Real Madrid makes so much money from hosting an event such as this, they've put money first ahead of football. 
and uh, La Liga, well, we're awaiting the response. But it is indicative of football clubs no longer see themselves as football clubs, but they see themselves as bigger fish in the much broader entertainment industry. And this is an opportunity to combine those two. Yeah, you know, I'd, do, I'd play the game rounder. That's what I'd do. If I was La Liga, I'd say, all right, fine. If she wants to know a night, she can, she can go on half time. You, you, you've got to come back after 15 minutes, carry on playing football. See how that goes. Oh, it's just, and, now, and now tell us, by, by way of a contrast, Kieran, now tell us about our final story, which takes us to Framlingham. Yes, um, this is Framlingham Town, um, and they've, they've got floodlights, which are 37 years old, and uh, they're going out bulb by bulb. You know, they, um, they're not fit for purpose anymore. Um, so the club has launched a, a crowdfunder. So if, if you want to go, uh, you know, Framlington Town, uh, floodlights appeal. I think they're looking for 10 grand. You know, in, 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 it, 10 grand's a lot of money if you've not got 10 grand as the football club, haven't you? So if anybody does want to contribute that, I think, yeah, the least we can do, because it is part of you know, our ethos of the show, um, they'll be absolutely grateful um, and you'll be doing something good because getting people out of the house, getting them running around, getting old blokes shouting at them when they are running around from, from the terraces whilst they're having a pint is good for everybody, the identity of the of the village itself and the football team. So so good luck to you, Framlingham Town, and uh, we're, uh, we'll keep fingers crossed for you. <clears throat> there are people, Kieran, who say that you and I are going out bulb by bulb as well. <laughs> yes. So, uh, <clears throat> I said, you know, I didn't say, I said, I'm, I'm, I've gone all all talk TV. I've gone all Nick Ferrari. Oh. I mean, do you know what I would do, Kieran? I'd make Taylor Swift do a fundraiser for Framlingham Town. I said, she's apparently a nice woman with a, a political heart in the right place. I said, right, you've done Real Madrid two nights running. You must have a spare night. Pop over to Framlingham. Do a little fundraiser there. We only need ten thousand quid. You know, half a song. That's all you need to do. What a world we live in, Kieran. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you. It'll get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. You can go to patreon.com/slash price of football. We have news coming up, Kieran. It might get you access to other stuff as well. As we we're talking about expanding the, we might be doing a newsletter. Like a 1970s gardening <laughs> society, you know, an actual <laughs> newsletter. Uh, if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com and go to priceoffootball.com if you want to buy a book or one of our other books or get yourself a Price of Football t shirt. We will be back on Monday with our questions pod. Hopefully, we'll have a bit more news on that West Brom story. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Pausing only to point out that, in fact, we'll be back on Friday with the interview with Talkie United. So, so Kieran, customary farewell. Uh, well, as always, uh, thank you for uh, getting in contact. It, it, it doesn't matter whether you're Framlingham Town or Real Madrid. Um, every club's as important as each other and every fan's devotion is as important to each other as well. Um there's various ways to support the show. Uh, we, we've got Patreon if you want the, the advert-free version of the show. There's another way you can support the show, and that's to give us a review. And the reviews seem to have dried up recently, I've noticed. Uh, yeah, we do, do keep an eye on them. But uh, it doesn't matter what you say, um, by all accounts, according to the, the algorithm. So yeah, we, we've mentioned the, the fine city of Salford today. So therefore... You could even say you would rather have the show presented by two fine Salfordians in Bernard Sumner and Emmeline Pankhurst. And Ooh. I would be willing to listen to that because they're two people who have done fantastic work in their own fields. Absolutely. That's a good one. That's, that's, that's gone straight into my top ten. I think Bernard would like that as well. That'd be great. And if Bernard can't do it, we'll get Steve Coogan to do Bernard's voice. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. The price of football.
sacrifice a football. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. <laughs> 